1. The Bible says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life with God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which uh, now or and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. I mean, is that just a cranky introduction yeah. to the book of Titus? I mean, the God who does not lie, who had things planned out from the beginning of time. He goes to Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and of Christ Jesus, our Savior. You know, the the name Titus most likely comes from uh, the word Titan. Mm. Titan. And uh, a Titan was a, a mythical giant of sorts. And uh, Titus, the name Titus, what well, was a famous or is a famous name throughout all of history. In fact, uh, later on, there was a Roman general who was named Titus, who eventually uh, goes into the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD and destroys the temple. He then becomes the Roman emperor in 79 AD and is perhaps most famous for building the Roman Colosseum in which many, quote, titans fought. And yet, although Emperor Titus was a giant in Roman history, our dear brother Titus was a giant in the first century. So the title of our lesson tonight is Titus, a spiritual giant. Titus, a spiritual giant. And I hope that you as men want to be a spiritual giant. Let's go. That you want your, your faith to be big and your problems small. Not, not your problems big and your faith small. Not, not your problems big and your father God small. But that your faith is big. That your God is big. And therefore your problems and your challenges are small. You go, well, yeah. Who is this guy, Titus? Who is this guy, Titus? Well, right here in verse 4, Paul says to Titus, my true son in our common faith. Most likely, Titus was converted by Paul. That's pretty cool. Wouldn't you love to say that? Like, I got baptized by Paul. (laughs) This phrase, son of the faith, is a title that Paul only gave to two guys in the entire New Testament. I think that we're more familiar with the second guy. Timothy. Timothy. But we know that Paul did not convert Timothy. He met Timothy after Timothy was already a disciple and had a great reputation in Acts 16. But here he goes, Titus, my true son. And so therefore we believe that Paul himself converted Timothy, or excuse me, converted Titus, and Titus was his true son in the faith. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Come on, Brian. Come on, Brian. In verse 12, here's Titus' father in the faith speaking. And as he writes to the church in Corinth, he says these words in verse 12, chapter 2, 2 Corinthians 2, 12. 
He says, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. What, what a statement right here Paul makes. No, God opened a door uh, for me to go to Troas, and I went there to preach the gospel in Troas, and, and that was awesome. But, but, you know, I still did not have a peace of mind while I was in Troas because Titus was not there with me. Skip ahead a few chapters to chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5. Once again, Paul is referring back to his missionary journeys. And he says in verse 5 right here, it says, For when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest. Some of you guys can relate to that one, right? <laughs> I saw Isaiah crash down out on the couch earlier before midweek. And I can hear it in just Lane's voice. You can relate to that scripture right there. We had no rest. Come on. But we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside and fears within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Wow. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. Is that incredible? Yeah. That, that Paul, Paul in every way did not leave or did not live a peaceful life. You know, he, even right here, he goes, man, we were, we were harassed at every turn. There was conflict on the outside and there were fears on the inside. And yet he goes, we were comforted, comforted by the coming of Titus. You know, Titus was a guy that could bring even the Apostle Paul peace of mind. Wow. He was a guy that could bring even the Apostle Paul comfort just through his presence. Yeah. You know, I, I believe that the life of a Christian is not a peaceful life. In a sense, we are harassed at every turn. We, too, don't get a lot of rest. You with me, guys? Yeah. We say being tired is just a symptom of being sold out. There are conflicts on the inside, or excuse me, on the outside. And yet sometimes there are even fears on the inside. And yet I ask, are you someone who brings the people around you peace of mind and comfort. Come on, Rich. <laughs> Are you someone who brings the people around you a peace of mind and comfort? You know, uh, in Hebrews 10, verse 24, the Hebrew writer says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds, not getting up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The, the Hebrew writer records that the primary reason that we come together is so that we may encourage one another. And yet oftentimes as we come together, we, we come in with the perspective of, hey, I, I'm going to get something out of this. Hebrew writer goes, no, 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 no. But when we come together, you've got to have the perspective that you're going to give something to this. And when every single brother comes together for men's midweek, every single church member comes together for the fellowship on Sunday, when every single disciple comes together at devotionals, and everybody has the heart to bring something to the fellowship. 
then you can bet that that's going to be the most encouraging, most inspiring church meeting that could ever occur. We've got to be about adding to the fellowship, but more than just adding. You see, Titus wasn't a subtractor. In fact, he wasn't even an adder. Titus was a multiplier. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter eight verse sixteen. Once again, we find Paul writing about his dear friend Titus, his his son, his true son in the faith. And in chapter eight and verse sixteen, he says, "Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you." with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. Ooh. Are you a brother that has their own initiative, mm. that takes initiative? That, that was the heart of, Paul, of, of uh, Titus right here. Paul was even confident enough to say, you know what, I, I'm confident. Titus has the same heart for you that I have. Wow, what, what a statement. That Titus had Paul's heart. He records here, he goes, man, there was much enthusiasm in Titus's heart. The word enthusiasm in Greek, en means en, and enthusiasm comes from theism, meaning God, God in you. That's what it means to have enthusiasm, that you have God in you. Wow. That when you have God in you, you can't help but to be fired up when you come together to fellowship or when you come together to sing to the Lord. That, that's God in you. And so not only did Titus have Paul's heart, Titus had God's heart. Boom. Verse 23. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. You know, right here we find that Paul considered Titus to be a partner and a co-worker. You know, even though Paul was a father in the faith to Titus, eventually Titus became his peer. He was no longer a mentor. He was side by side, a partner, a co-worker in the faith. Now, we know that Paul was a giant in the Christian faith. Yeah. And so you can bet. That Titus 2 was a spiritual giant. Oh, yeah. Let's go to our first point. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. Come on, bro. Excuse me. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Come on, bro. Right here, Paul. He says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. We find right here that Paul had already left Crete, but that he had been there with Titus previous to this letter, that he and Titus worked side by side as co-workers to advance the Gospels on the island of Crete, but there came a time where, where Paul had to move on, and so he leaves Titus in Crete to straighten out what was left unfinished. 
Well, let's let's try to figure out how this church in Crete got started. Let's go back to Acts chapter two. Uh, Acts chapter two. I hope you guys came ready for a Bible study tonight. Yeah, Boom, bro. Yeah. Acts chapter two. Yeah. In verse five, we know that this is the point in time where where God was establishing His kingdom on earth. Holy Spirit comes down in the form of fire, comes to rest on all of the apostles, and the apostles start speaking in their own language. But those that had gathered there from around the world were hearing them in their own native languages. Verse 5 says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medians, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts in Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They ask one another, what does this mean? You know, even from the very beginning, at the very start of the Christian church, here in Acts 2, the Bible records that there were Cretans among those who heard the gospel preached. And so we can guess, it's a probably a, a fairly good guess, and a, a pretty safe guess, that there were some Cretans that got baptized in the, their number in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 when 3,000 people got baptized. It would also be safe to assume that those people went back to the island of Crete and they began the church, the work of God, there on the island of Crete. And then Paul at one point comes and, and joins them with Titus. And together they start to really minister to the island. They start to plant churches. They start to grow the churches. And we know that they did an incredible job because in verse 5 again, he says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. So we don't know how big the church in Crete got. But we know that the church in Crete got to every single city and every single town on the island. You with me right here, guys? But you got to ask, what was there for Titus to straighten out? We'll go back to Titus. Titus chapter 1. We're going to keep coming back to Titus, so you might want to keep your finger here. Titus chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. <laughs> this saying is true. <laughs> wow. I mean, don't you don't you just feel for the Cretans? They got that written in the Bible. You guys, you guys have a saying in this country, in this this Crete, this Crete, this island of Crete. Even one of your own prophets said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And you know what? It's true. It's true. Now that is in some ways the island mentality for those of us who grew up in islands of various kinds. 
<laughs> lazy buttons, oh. evil brutes, and oh, oh, uh, uh, always liars, passive aggressive. You with me? That, oh, you, you go, well, how can, how can Paul say? How can Paul say that this is true? What was everyone in Crete a liar? Yeah. Was everyone in Crete an evil brute? Was everyone in Crete a lazy glutton? Well, no, what Paul is saying is that these were cultural sins that existed on the island of Crete. You know, every culture has their cultural sins. Mm. It's true. Every culture, whether you're from Australia, India, China, U.S., North America, it, it doesn't matter. Every culture has their cultural sins. I, I know when I went to in, India, they had they had a lot of abuse in India. People experience a lot of abuse, a lot of uh, a hardship that's inflicted on uh, from person to person. I know where I'm from in Hawaii, there's a lot of laziness. But there's a cultural sin in every single culture. Mm-hmm. I think here in Canada, we experience a lot of greed. Yeah. And, and comfort and laziness because life is easy for us up here in Canada. Yeah. These are our cultural sins. Hmm. And so what a challenge it must have been for Titus <laughs> to be left here in Crete and left there to, quote, straighten it all out. Which brings us to our first point. Giants do giant things. Ooh. Giants do giant things. You want to be a spiritual giant yeah. in the faith? Yeah. You've got to do giant things. You can't hide out from giant things, giant tasks, giant challenges, giant obligations. If you're going to be a giant in the faith, you're going to have to accomplish giant things for the Lord. Go to James chapter 2. Let's go. James chapter 2. In verse 14. He writes right here, he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? You ever see someone that claims that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I've got so much faith. So much faith. Oh, I've got faith oozing out of my ears. It's just, it's just exuding out of me. That's why I sit at home and watch Netflix all day. Because what good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. Twenty of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Ooh. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Like, it's cool, you know, I've got some faithful guys in my Bible talk. They've got enough faith for all of us. You know, they'll have the faith, I'll just do the deeds portion. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You know, I think that we very commonly use this scripture or reference the scripture in in referring to people or in trying to uh, combat people who claim they have faith but really just don't want to obey God. And I think the Bible is very clear. Can this type of faith save you? Well, no. Even the demons have that type of faith, a, a type of faith that just is about belief, but is not followed by action. But, you know, we, we don't often talk about what else the scripture is saying. 
Our deeds are a product of our faith. That's very clear in the scripture. If you have no deeds, then of course you have no faith. And if you have faith, then of course you're going to have deeds. But what about if you have great faith or giant faith? You see, deeds are a product of our faith, and so therefore, if you don't do great things, then you don't have great faith. Hmm. Great faith produces great deeds. Deeds, yes, are a product of faith, but great deeds are a product of great faith. You know, I'll never forget, back in Hawaii, uh, my wife and I took over a, a Bible talk. It was a marriage Bible talk. <clears throat> And sadly, this had been a group that had been very, very, very lukewarm in the church. In fact, they had Bible talk no. weekly for all. Oh, no. Sing, talking about baptism, not talking about Bible. One single visitor to Bible talk. So Something's wrong. So we got in there, we started talking to them about evangelism, and it, it was pretty quick to stop. Oh, is it? Oh, I think it's Evans. No, yeah. no, it's a Zoom. It's it wasn't us. Oh. But it's like Evans Wi Fi. No, it's a Zoom. It's a Zoom. Guys that came to our Bible talk were so blown away. Wow, we haven't had a, a visitor in, in over a year and a half. And in the first Bible talk, my wife and I brought up four visitors. They go, hey, guys, next week we're going to have Bible talk again. Once again, we went out, and I didn't ask anybody else to do a single thing. They just had to show up. My wife and I, we went out and we shared our faith. We went through another street with another 20, 40 houses, and we got another four visitors out to Bible talk. At this point, they were starting to, to see it. Wow, it, it can work. It can happen. I go, now, guys, I want you guys to bring your own visitor. Starting with that Bible talk, in the next 12 months, we baptized nine people into Christ. Great deeds are produced through great faith. If you don't have great deeds happening in your life, it's because there's no great faith in your life. And if you want to see great things happen, it starts with having great faith. You know, this uh, um, past week... I talked with our single guys because I noticed that our singles Bible talk had started to, to dwindle with those that were coming out to our Bible talk. And I, I've got to say that the, the single guys and the, the singles ministry has done an incredible job in the church. Uh, I think for for, uh, for a while there, we were having over 20 visitors at our Bible talk, yeah. uh, 27. We even had 36 at one point. Uh, we were getting, getting above 20, and I think then we dropped down to, to 15, and then the next week we went back up to 27 and then we started to kind of drop off, and last week we had 15, and then this week we only had six visitors out to Bible Talk. Now, granted, we got to see Kimar baptized, got to see Byron baptized, we're soon going to see Ian baptized. Come on, it's, it's awesome that, that God is moving through our singles ministry. But I got the guys together, I go, guys, it seems pretty clear that, that we've had a little bit of a slippage or a little bit of a drop-off in our Bible Talk. I think that we've just gotten too settled. That, that we've, we've done enough in our Bible talk. I don't think that's what God wants from us. I think that we can do a lot more than what we're doing. And it was awesome to hear all the guys' responses and like, yeah, you're right. We, we settled. We got we got confident with what we got or, or comfortable with what we, where we were at and what we had. 
we got to get back on the ball and we got to get out there and share our faith again. Yeah. And I believe that God's going to do great things. But you see, our results are always going to match our faith. Some of us are too quickly satisfied with mediocrity wow. because we have a mediocre faith. Call it, call it out, bro. Great faith Straight up. produces great things. We don't want to just build a mediocre church. We want to build a great church. But if we're going to build a great church, it's going to take great faith and giant spiritual giants to giant things for the Lord. My second point is giants fill giant shoes. Giants fill giant shoes. Let's go. I know that you probably you probably knew that, right? <laughs> if you're a giant, you're gonna have pretty darn big shoes. <laughs> but giants, giants fill giant shoes. You know, right here in Titus, we find that Titus is filling Paul's shoes after he left left the uh, Crete, which you can imagine would be a pretty giant task. He was left there to straighten out what was left unfinished. Well, how was how was Titus to do this? How was Titus to fill these shoes that, that Paul left for him to fill? Well, let's keep reading in verse 5 right here, chapter 1. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children uh, believe. And are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who obey it. You know, right here, as Paul directed Titus to straighten out the church there in Crete, he also gave him a way to do it. He goes, you have to appoint and raise up leaders in every single town. In other words, Paul understood that even a giant wasn't big enough to straighten things out all by themselves. That even a giant is not enough to build a giant church. And that his giant shoes would only be filled if Titus was able to raise up other leaders that had the same qualities and same characteristics that he himself had. Very interesting. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 14, once again, this is Paul teaching, Paul writing. He says, I, I'm, not, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Well, well that's interesting. Scholars estimate that the church in Corinth got to 10,000 people. He goes, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, 
you do not have many fathers. But Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you, Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere and in every church. You know, very interestingly, we find that the church in Corinth was in a, a similar situation as the church in Crete. Church had grown to 10,000, but there was a lot of problems that needed straightening out. You go, well, what do you mean? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you have a guy who was sleeping with his father's wife. In chapter 6, you find that brothers were suing each other. They were taking each other to court, trying to extort money from each other. In chapter 11, you can find that they were, they were coming together for communion, but there were some brothers that were getting drunk on all the wine and then eating all the food so that nobody else had anything to eat for communion. That was, that was the circumstance that existed in the Corinthian church. And Paul would say, I've got a solution. We know how to fix this. You see, the problem right here with the church is that although you have 10,000 disciples, you don't have very many fathers. You don't have enough leaders in your church like i'm your leader i'm through the gospel i became your father but but you guys don't have leaders and so what i'm going to do is i'm going to send you timothy whom i love and he will remind you of my way of life so so think about what he's saying right here he's saying hey i have a solution for you i can fix your whole church i just want you to imitate me you know that that kind of seems arrogant paul you, you think you're the answer for the church? Well, later on, he actually clarifies it in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Mm-hmm. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Cool. You see, we don't have to imitate the, the personality conflicts or quirks or little little you know intricacies of, of each other's uh, wording or things like that. But we do have to imitate the Christ-like qualities in each other or those that are spiritual or that are examples for us. And Paul goes, I'm going to send you Timothy who is a great imitation of me, and he's going to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so when you imitate Timothy, you're actually imitating me as I imitate Christ. Well, what what an incredible concept that the church was called to imitate, and through imitation, they would become an incredible church that reflected the glory of God. You know, I think in some ways, one of the reasons why my... Maybe some of us haven't grown spiritually. It's because we don't want to imitate other people. You see, it takes humility to imitate other people. And yet imitation is the fastest way we learn. I mean, watch watch Loga as he raises little Zuri. He's going to see Zuri imitating things that he and his wife do. That's just how babies learn. Because that's the fastest way to learn. You know, this past week, I was talking to my sons as we were driving. And uh, we were talking about a movie that they really wanted to watch. But I wouldn't let them watch it because there were some bad words in the movie. I said, sorry, guys, we can't watch this movie. It's got some bad words in it. And and so we got into this conversation about bad words. And my younger son, Blake, who's six years old, he goes, goes, yeah, you know, I get in trouble because I said, what the heck at school? (laughs) And heck in school is a bad word. And I go, oh, my gosh, I say what the heck. My son is imitating me. And he's getting in trouble at school because he's saying what the heck at school. 
I mean, kids just naturally imitate. Why? Because it's the fastest way to learn. And Paul goes, this is what I teach everywhere and in every church. This was Paul's solution to fix Corinth, and this was Paul's solution to fix Crete. He goes, I've got I've to call you to imitate Timothy. I've got to call you to imitate Titus because they imitate me as I imitate Christ. I have to imagine that if Paul was here in Toronto, that the same thing he taught in Crete, the same thing he taught in Corinth, will be taught right here in Toronto. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know, I believe that probably the greatest need for our church right now, at this moment, is for us to raise up fathers in our church. Yes, we have 42 guardians in Christ. But truth be told, we do not have many fathers. I didn't say mothers. I said fathers. And I believe that God calls us to be imitators of him. When we know that Jesus was the leader. And so in a sense, our calling to imitate Christ involves learning how to lead other people. Learning how to take on responsibility. And yet you have to ask, are you really pursuing learning how to lead in the kingdom of God as a father to future sons that you may have in the faith. Great question, bro. You know, I really want to lift up uh, our dear brother Isaiah. Come on! (laughs) Uh, I consider Isaiah um, in every way a son of the faith. Um, Now, he's not my true son of the faith because I did not baptize Isaiah, but he is a Timothy. He's my son of the faith. And, uh, you know, in November, we put Isaiah on full-time staff And I think that Isaiah thought that he was being put on full-time staff to be a leader. What he realized after he got put on full-time staff is that he was put on full-time staff to learn how to be a leader. And and you know how it goes. When when you really set out to learn something, God puts you through it because he really wants you to get the lesson. And I'm so proud of him because... You know, there, though there was a, a, you know, some wrestling going on in Isaiah's heart, at the end of the day, he, he decided, you know, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to learn how to fill these shoes, to fill the role that God has called me to fill. And at one point, you know, he was working uh, this, this side job uh, in the night shift, and he realized that he couldn't, he couldn't continue to work as much the side job, even though he's got a wedding coming up, and even though he wants to get married and all these different things. But he's yeah. really got to get focused on the ministry and, and not rely so much on this this income that he thinks that he needs. Yeah, bro. <laughs> I'm just going to stop working so much at this job. And I'm just going to trust God that God's going to take care of my needs. I'm going to burn the back door. I'm going to burn the oxen. And I'm going to do what God is calling me to do. And I believe that he is going to fill those shoes because he's decided to fill them. And he is bent on imitating those who imitate Christ. Giants fill giant shoes. You with me, right guys? Giants fill giant shoes. And if we're going to become giants of the faith, we've got to look at how we can fill the shoes that God is demanding and calling us to fill. Our last point this evening is, yes, giants do giant things. And, yes, giants fill giant shoes. But our last point, giants take on giant Challenges. Man. Giants take on giant 
challenges. Let's finish out in Titus chapter 1, verse 10. Paul goes on here in, 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 in writing to Titus. He says, for there are many rebellious people. You know, sometimes, sometimes we can be those people, can't we? <laughs> he goes, there are, are many rebellious people. Like we, we know when we're just being stubborn and rebellious. Like We know what God wants us to do. We just don't want to do it. We know we're supposed to have a quiet time, but man, you know, looking at Facebook is so fun. But we know that, that going to church is more important than anything else, and yet we, we show up late. Oh. Aren't we sometimes so rebellious to what God calls us to do? He goes, full of meaningless talk. Now, that's just the religious world. Full of meaningless talk. Always talking about how spiritual and how righteous everything is, using uh, buzzwords. That, that's not the kingdom of God. In fact, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. Yeah. Preach it, bro. And deception. Especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim no God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Bogus, Titus, you gotta fix it out there. There are people who are just full of talk. It's just full of hot air. Rebellious people. Tell everybody you got to be circumcised to be Christians. He goes, you rebuke them sharply. You don't put up with that garbage. You get rid of that group because they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Paul said, rise up. Paul goes, Titus, you got to lay it out. And you got to be hard-lined about the standard. But you know, I think in a way... This was more of a challenge to Titus than you may think. Mm. Go to Acts chapter 15. Oh, shoot. Mm. Come on, man. <laughs> at this time, there was a group of Jews that were traveling from church to church and teaching false doctrine, teaching that if a Gentile wanted to become a Christian, they would first have to become a Jew by being circumcised. Then and only then could they become a Christian. Well, right here in Acts chapter 15, we find that Paul goes to the central council at Jerusalem, which is where the main group of leaders were, to, to consider this question. Do Gentiles need to be circumcised before they can become Christians? I think in this teaching, you can see right here that there was a central leadership, even in the first century church, that they had a group of people that oversaw the church. And Paul taught every, every, uh, the same things in all the churches. And so there's a unified movement in the first century, just like there is in the 21st century. And so Paul goes to the leadership and he goes, all right, guys, we got to figure this out. 
We've got to figure out if Gentiles need to be circumcised to be saved. Verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. This is what Paul was trying to figure out. Well, we know without having to read ahead what the what the conclusion to that question was. Absolutely not. Gentiles did not need to become Jews before they became Christians. In fact, throughout the entire Bible, God was prophesying and predicting that Gentiles would be allowed to come into the kingdom of God. And so they come to this conclusion at the council in Jerusalem. But go over to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. A little nugget for you. Galatians chapter 2. Verse 1. Look at what Paul says here. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. But what's he referring to right here? Acts chapter 15. When they went up to Jerusalem to discuss this question, do Gentiles need to be circumcised? I took Titus along. Well, who was there with them? Titus. He's like, when in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented them to the gospel and I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Wow, so here, here's Paul calling Titus to confront the circumcision group as a non-Jew, as a Gentile, a Greek who had not been circumcised. That was the challenge that Titus had to deal with. You see, giants take on giant challenges. Ooh. You know, I really want to lift up uh, our dear brother, Harvey. You know, we we know that giving special missions every year is a giant challenge. Let's just be real. I I know we get fired up about it. We get excited about what God is going to do. But the truth is, if we're we're giving generously every week from our income, giving a special missions contribution is a giant challenge. Now, we don't believe that it's a salvation issue. We don't believe that if you miss your special missions contribution that you can't be a part of the church or that you're not a good disciple. It is not a salvation issue for us, but we do also believe that it can be a salvation issue for other people. That those that hear the gospel because we raise money, that that, that really is what's at stake right here. Not our salvation, but the salvation of many who will come after us based on our continued work here in Canada. Well, this past week, Harvey, and Harvey, I can already say, gives way beyond his means in general. Now, I'll leave it up to him to share that with you if you want to know what that means or for him or what that looks like for him. But but in spite of that, this past week, Harvey dropped 78% of his missions contribution, even though he does not have a job currently. Jeez. Let's go, Harvey. I mean, what? Giants, giants take on 
giant challenges. And I can think of no disciple that is as generous as our brother Hardy. Well, yeah. And I just want to lift you up, Hardy. Giants take on giant challenges, and they rise to those challenges. Without a job, 78% of his mission's contribution. You know, I got to say, every, every week we, we look at who's studying the Bible in the church. And we take stock of where our ministries are at, and we take stock of, of where we can improve. And then we look at who's studying the Bible so that we can pray through those people so that we can soon see those people become our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's exciting uh, every week to see those that are studying the Bible and see that list. And I know at the beginning of the year we, we were seeing about 60 to 70 people a week studying the Bible in a church of 40. And uh, so in a sense we were having about uh, two Bible studies per person in the church. You go, well, that's, that's a healthy church. But, you know, lately – uh, the Bible studies have dropped off quite significantly. Uh, to work, we're, we're, we're pretty much at about 30 Bible studies in a church of about 40. So we've, we've dropped to about half as many Bible studies as we started out the year with. But, but, but here's what's interesting. The women have outcranked the guys in about two to one. So, so out of those 30 Bible studies, 20 of them are women's Bible studies, and about 10 of them are men's Bible studies. Yeah. You gotta step up. Now, now, last time, <laughs> last time I, I've read the Bible, the men lead the church. Yeah. You remember any guys? I mean, last time I checked, last time I checked, the men are supposed to lead the way. Okay. Now, granted, there may be circumstances. We did see a couple people get baptized. That's exciting. We saw Kimar get baptized. We saw Byron get baptized. Ian's gonna get baptized this week. Amen. That's awesome. Amen. But I have to say, we might have some lazy gluttons Come on, in the church. Wow. Nah, I don't mean that literally, but I think in a sense that there's some idleness when we let the women outcrank us two to one. Yeah. Come on, bro. And when we start dropping off in our Bible studies to where not even one person has one study on average in the church. Let's just let's just say it. Let's just be real. Yeah. Have we given in to idleness mm. as men? Have we given in to spiritual laziness and spiritual gluttony as men? Or cowardice where we stop sharing our faith with people? That is the entire reason we still exist on earth. Otherwise, when we get baptized, we just shoot right back up to heaven. We're here to spread the gospel as the body of Christ to fulfill what Jesus would have done if he were here on earth. I've got a challenge for us as men. I've got a challenge for us as men because I think that we have some giant, giant spiritual giants in our men's ministry. But I also think we've got some sleeping giants. We've got some sleeping giants in our men's ministry. And I really want to wake up our sleeping giants right here. I want to challenge us that every single guy gets a Bible study by Sunday. Okay. Every single guy. And I believe that this is easy. I believe every single guy can find someone that they can study the Bible with and share the good news with and spread the word with God, of God with by Sunday. At least one person. 
We, we all have one person, one person in our life that we can get to study the Bible. Can, can we do that as men? Yeah. Yep. Can we yeah. do that? We got some spiritual giants right here. Every single person, every single guy, one Bible study by Sunday. I believe we can do it, and I believe that we're going to crank if we can just be the spiritual giants that God is calling us to be. Amen, guys? Amen. Amen. You know, as a church, as a church, we have some giant goals. We want to see 30 people baptized this year. That's a giant goal. We want to establish two regions this year. That means we have a separate meeting on Sunday. We have a separate meeting on Wednesdays because the church is too big to meet all together. We want a church to grow to 60 members by the end of the year. We want to appoint an evangelist and a women's ministry leader. And prayerfully, someone that will eventually go and lead in Ottawa. And we want to raise $50,000. These are some gigantic, gigantic goals. And if we're going to accomplish these giant goals, we're going to have to be spiritual giants in the faith. Why? As we close out our lesson, because I don't know about you, but I'm not trying to just build a little dinky church here in Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want we don't want a little dinky church here in Toronto. You with me right here, guys? Yeah. We're trying to build a giant church. And if we're going to build a giant church, it's going to take some spiritual giants. Spiritual giants who do giant things. Spiritual giants who fill giant shoes, who raise up for leadership. And spiritual giants who take on giant challenges. And I believe that as we take on these giant challenges, we're going to see some giant victories. Amen, guys? Amen. Amen. Well, that's Titus chapter 1. Next time we get together for men's ministry, we're going to have Titus chapter 2. But I'd love to hear some thoughts and comments from our lesson right here from just chapter 1 of Titus. What do you feel like hit you or that you could personally take away from our lesson today?